Hello, sword people. Welcome to the Sword Guy podcast. This is your host, Dr. Guy Windsor, consulting swordsman, teacher, and writer. Join me for interviews with historical martial arts instructors and experts from a wide range of related disciplines as we discuss swords, history, training, and bringing the joy of historical martial arts into our modern lives. The episode show notes are at swordschool.com forward slash podcast, where you'll find transcriptions, photos, videos, and links for this and all the other episodes. While you are there, you can sign up for my mailing list, and I'll send you a free copy of my Sword Persons Care Package. This includes four ebooks and access to several of my online courses. My newsletter goes out every week with updates about the podcast, my works in progress, and all sorts of cool sword stuff. You can unsubscribe at any time and there's never any spam. Before we get on with the show, I'd like to thank the people who make it possible, my patrons on Patreon. It takes time and money to run a podcast, and without them I'd have quit long ago. Join us at patreon.com forward slash thesoardguy for behind-the-scenes content to suggest future guests and priority access to my inbox. That's patreon.com forward slash thesoardguy. I'd also like to thank Andrew Lawrence King for the Baroque harp accents that adorn the show, originally recorded for my Paradoxes of Defence audiobook project. Now, without further ado, on with the interview. I'm here today with Auri Posso, who is a long-time student of mine and founder of the Gladiolus School of Arms in Espoir, which is next to Helsinki, uh, for those who are not familiar with Finnish geography. So... Without further ado. Okay, I, right. I'm gonna I'm gonna interrupt you right there. Gladiolus, yeah, Gladiolus is technically an Espoir school, but currently we trade in Helsinki. So right. you might want to rephrase that. <laughs> well, no, I'm just going to leave that in. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent. Because <laughs> it sets a good example to my other guests who might feel a little bit intimidated by you know and not feel they can just interrupt, but the fact that you just did it like that it's like yes okay this is good for everyone all right so um so right now you're training in Helsinki but just to orient everybody whereabouts are you at the moment southern Finland I am physically southern. in Espoo right now and Espoo is a giant city well it's a it's the second largest city in Finland which is not saying much to be honest <laughs> uh, but it's right True. next door to Helsinki <laughs> Yeah, and, and you know, you, you can go from Espoir to Helsinki and Helsinki to Espoir without actually noticing that you've gone into a different city. It's just all one great big splodge. Well, yeah, I think so. Uh, people in Helsinki might disagree. <laughs> Espoir has a certain reputation. Yes, of being full of annoying Swedish people. Yes, being full of annoying rich people. We are not all rich, <laughs> myself included. <laughs> But and aren't there quite a lot of Swedes over there? I mean, isn't it a bit um, close to the Swedish border? I mean, it's it's getting a bit far west. Not really. I mean, we that would be Kauniainen or Grankula, which okay. is right in the middle of Espoo, weirdly enough. Yeah. But um, which yeah, is, but we, we separate, get to. It's a different. It is a separate town. Yeah. Yes. Okay. Yes, Finnish geography is very confusing. Um, and, and for people who haven't been there, you've got to watch out for the Swedes and the Russians because you know, turn left, you hit Sweden; turn right, you hit Russia, and either one of those could be a disaster. So, also, don't believe Guy when he says that. 
Yeah, that's fair. All right. Now, I tend to ask everyone. Now, I personally know how you got his, into historical martial arts because I was there when it happened. But there's probably some some bits of the story that I'm missing. And um, I asked the questions for the benefit of the listeners. So, and I asked pretty much everyone this. So, how did you get into historical martial arts? Well, there's several right answers to that. I mean, one is that I just really like swords. Like martial arts, historical martial arts, historical European martial arts is so much more than swords, but swords are where it's at for me. I mean, who doesn't like swords, right? Nobody listening to this show dislikes swords or they wouldn't be here. Exactly. So another answer is that I saw Star Wars at an impressionable age. But do I like swords because of that or did I like that because of the swords? Uh, I don't know. So would you agree that Star Wars without lightsabers isn't Star Wars at all? I would totally agree with that, yes. Yeah, so Rogue One, great movie, not really Star Wars. Solo, not a bad heist movie, not really Star Wars. No, I'm not going to agree with you there. But there's no lightsabers. There's no lightsabers in them. And how can it still be Star Wars if there's no lightsabers? But there are several other different things, several several parts about what makes a Star Wars film. And I, I, I can please don't let me get into this because I can no, no, continue. Go for like, it. All go day. for it. Go for it. Go for it. Go for it. Go for it. There are millions of Star Wars. Well, not millions, but there are many Star Wars nerds listening, and you are a Star Wars nerd par excellence. So tell us what you think. We can always okay. cut it out later if it goes in a useless direction. Okay, so you get good Star Wars when you get lightsabers. That I will. Yep. I will totally agree with. Uh, but then there's the spaceships, which honestly have got to be there. Right. And then there's the droids yeah. and the creatures. That's, um, but none of it is really maybe the heart of Star Wars for me. It's more like it's this blend of fantasy and science fiction and the, and the kind of dreaminess of it all dreaminess you know like things aren't quite perfect and they don't quite match up and and uh and the story itself is not awfully interesting as such but when you're watching it it's the best thing ever like you know when you have a really good dream and then right. when you wake oh, up okay. and you try to remember that it was like did i really just dream that but that was a really crappy, stupid kind is of. Is that how they get away point. with? Yeah, is that how they get away with all these completely useless digressions that don't go anywhere? Yeah, exactly. Like it's just the best thing when you're watching it, and and uh, they're none of them great movies as movies. They're not art. It just happens to make my soul sing. <laughs> it's not art. It just happens to make my soul sing. But honestly, I think making your soul sing is pretty much the definition of art. Um, I think art historians would take issue with that. But art historians are full of shit because, <laughs> because I mean, I went to this fantastic, fantastic art exhibition in Potsdam recently and it had unbelievable, an unbelievable collection of impressionists at the, I think it's Bernini Gallery or something, something in Potsdam, right? And they also had all of these, uh, they had a great big exhibition of abstract art from the 20th century, um, including, uh, what's this fellow, the, the drizzle painter, um, 
that that guy. Yeah, I know what you mean. Pollock, Jackson Pollock. Right. Right, and a bunch of other people like that, and Rothko, and, you know, all that crowd. And they're these canvases, people spend millions of them, and as far as I'm concerned, they're tedious rubbish. But art historians just go ape for it. And the so same art historians might look at some of these impressionists that just blow my mind and are like, eh, whatever. Um, I mean, art art is influenced by fashions and snobbery, just like anything else. Exactly. And I think the, the Star Wars isn't art, is entirely motivated by snobbery, I would say. If it makes your soul sing, it's art. There are also other things that make your soul sing. Sex makes your soul sing. Is that art? It can be. Depends how well you did it. (laughs) (laughs) And on that note. (laughs) (laughs) So, okay. So you're you're positing this, this theory that it could be a proper Star Wars movie without lightsabers. Yes, it can be a Star Wars movie. It, it, it can't be a very good one. I mean, I didn't... I kind of liked Rogue One. Uh, I didn't enjoy Solo so much. But well, it was still Solo, Star Solo Wars, is a boys I would movie. watch it. <laughs> yeah, I mean, Solo is definitely a boys movie. The whole thing is, is set up as a, as a kind of classic. This one is for the teenage boys. If you say so, I that's how fail I, that's to see how I that myself. Okay. Well, it's I, the protagonist. I mean, people, the people keep and... saying that the whole Star Wars is a boys' game, and I never saw it. Well, okay. My daughters, um, when Solo came out, they were at about the right age to start going to the cinema to watch Star Wars movies. And I was going to go, absolutely. And I said, well, okay, I'm going to go and watch this film, but... Um, if you would like to come, you can, but I want to make sure you actually like this sort of thing. So we'll watch a Star Wars movie at home first and you decide whether you want to come or not. And they, we watched, I think it was Return of the Jedi because that was my first Star Wars movie. And then they were like, oh yeah, this is great. And we watched, and they liked it, but they really perked up the whole Star Wars thing when Ren shows up. Right, later on in the series. Okay. Yeah. So once they had a a female Jedi protagonist to root for, that's when they really they really got into it. Well, I mean, I agree, but then think about a new hope. You've got Leia and yeah. that is it. Who mostly sits around being rescued, yeah. Yeah, and um, I didn't appreciate how revolutionary a princess heroine Leia was at the time. Right. Because I was four when the thing came out. <laughs> I, didn't, I, yeah. I didn't see it for another ten years or eight years, rather. But um, but it's just her, and I've never identified with Leia in any way, shape, or form. No. So who do you identify with in the Star Wars movies? Ray is my favourite, but then there's, yeah. like... I could never really figure out if I just, if I had a crush on Luke or whether I wanted to be him. <laughs> okay. And I, I hear this, this, is, this, is, this is not uncommon at all for female Star Wars fans. Okay. 
See, I was I never really liked Luke that much because he was always a bit of a whiner. I'm I'm just not going to listen to you now. <laughs> Did you ever listen to me, Harry? <laughs> Occasionally. <laughs> uh, so you like Luke? You don't think he's just a whiny little biatch who who needs a good slap? No. Let's just leave it at that. <laughs> Otherwise, I may have to challenge you to a duel when we next meet. <laughs> well, that's all right for me. <laughs> that's fine. Yeah, let's do that. <laughs> um, I get to pick the weapons if you challenge me, of course. Okay. Yeah. What would you pick? That's a good question. Um, we'd have to make it fair, right? Because the point of the you are under no fair. obligation to make it fair. No, no, no but. I think, honestly, honestly, I think the only sensible um, solution here would be lightsabers. But there's polycarbonate lightsabers that you can actually really hit people with. Yeah, okay. I mean, I suppose that we could duel with baguettes or, or water no. bubbles, but, um, no. but like, that's not a weapon, Guy. Have you that's ever been hit by one? Have you ever been hit by one? I mean, really. Well, I mean, in the sense of anything can be a weapon, but these, these, water bottles, these, but... but these these modern sort of not not the kind of cheap, crappy ones you get in the toy shop, like these, like the ones that are made for things like the Saber Legion and what have you. You can really hit people with those things. And, and okay, you get two of those. I will fight you. Okay, fair enough. All right, so if you ever have to duel. <laughs> Uh, but if if you disdain the lightsaber, which is, I think it would probably then have to be longsword, wouldn't it? I would agree. Okay. All right. Fight and talk. <laughs> okay. <laughs> um, so, leaving Star Wars aside for the minute, um, you got into martial arts because you like swords and Star Wars was an influence. And then we kind of went off on a Star Wars digression. What happened next? Um, yeah, I had a third answer for that, actually. Go on then. And it's not really an answer to that. Um, because, I mean, I'm a history nerd. I, yep. I love historical... I love the historical perspective. Okay. At the same time, because I understand... historical and philological research, I can understand the theory behind people's interpretations of historical martial arts. But honestly, it feels more like a coincidence. It's just putting my history knowledge to work. So, okay, so if you're looking for a story of how I got into uh, HEMA, which it wasn't called back then... I just asked the question. I mean, how you yeah. talk to <laughs> um, So about six months after I saw my first Star Wars film, um, I went and talked my mum into signing me up for foil fencing lessons. Okay. And that was really not me. That was just no. really, no. I am I'm not you're, one for sports. I, I, you're not a I foilist either. You are not no. a foilist. No. No. But like, I was. <laughs> I love foil, but not your thing. So about, what would I say, 10, 15 years after that, I kept, every time I would get drunk, I would get something long and start swishing it around like it was a sword. 
Uh, yeah, reasonable. Yeah, I mean, the, as one does. And uh, and I was about 29 or so when I finally decided that, okay, if I'm really going to do this every single time, then I might as well learn to do it properly. Yeah, and fair. if foil fencing is the only thing going in Finland, then that's what I'll do if I can't do anything else. So I enter Miekailu, which is fencing in Finnish, uh, Helsinki, and what comes up? <laughs> Your school comes up, swordschool.com. And I stared at the page and I thought, no, no, either I'm dreaming or this is just, otherwise I'm just not understanding something. It says Helsinki, it says Yakomaki, no, that is not possible. And I just put it away and I thought, heck. And I came back to it a couple of days later and, but it's, the page is here. So I start clicking all the links and I, I know this guy. I'm at him at university. I, okay. That's true. Yeah. And okay. Maybe this actually is real. This is very weird, but maybe it's real. Okay. So, <laughs> and the rest is history. Yeah. I mean, that was like 2001, early 2002, maybe. It was one week before the cells uh, first, before the school's first party, I think. So before our first Christmas party? Uh, or the birthday yeah, party? Yeah, uh, the, the birthday party, yeah. The birth, so, so that would have been, the birthday was sort of middle of March, so that would have been sort of late February, early March 2002. Yeah. Okay. And he just showed up and, and just like never left the South for like four years. Yeah, well, I mean, apart from the fact that I broke my wrist about two or three weeks into it, you remember that? I had forgotten what happened. <laughs> it was a, a work excursion skiing, oh, downhill skiing, and I broke my right wrist and I came to the cell and said, is there anything that I can do? And you said, no, you go rest it and then come back. Like, if Did you I do say? anything... Uh, and, wow. Yes, that is what you said. Now, okay, I know that I... you wouldn't say that now, but you no. told me to not do anything with that hand in case it just didn't... Got worse. It, 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 yeah, exactly. No, okay, to be fair, I would... I would Nowadays, I know enough to be able to adapt things to basically a one hand. I would still say rest the wrist if it's broken. Mm -hmm. you, not, you need the bones to knit before you put much wigging yep. about on there. But... I would have maybe got you to do stuff left-handed now. Yeah. Yeah. And I could have still done like footwork and I could have sat and you watched could. the class. But honestly, most students wouldn't. Yeah. And you you told me when I came back that you were absolutely certain of having seen the back of me. <laughs> Charles would be a fine thing. <laughs> okay. Um, I, to be strictly honest, I don't actually remember much of this because there was a lot going on at the time. <laughs> <laughs> I, I'm not surprised. And like running my own school now, I can definitely see kind of how things may have been a bit of a blur at that point. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, okay. Now, you, when your kids came along, you um, took an extended break from swords okay and this is really common like because you know life happens and 
there are things that are more important than swords, like children. Um, so it might be interesting for folk who've, who are going through something similar. What was it like coming back after such a long time away? Because you, you were out of the picture for what, about 15 years, was it? 14 years, something like that? Okay, before I answer that, I'm just going to say something about that break. All right. Um, at the time, you said to me, like, take a break and then come back. Don't yeah. try to do both. I wish I had listened. <laughs> you mean I was because actually right about something, Ari? You, you were right. And that, oh, 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 oh my God, oh my God. Yes, Ari just said, you were right. And, and no, I, I'm recording this, right? So I yes. can take that little snippet and I can play it anytime I like. <laughs> just, just writing yes. down the timestamp here. Yes, there we go. <laughs> right. But like the thing is, um, I tried to do both for a while with the result that when I was not at home, when I, when I was at the cell or driving to the cell, I cried because I wasn't at home. Yep. And then when I was at home, I was crying because I wasn't at the cell. Right. So don't do that to yourself. If you're going to have a child, just have that child. And remember that like two years, three years is not a long time in your life. And just pick one you want and then stick with that. Yeah. Okay. Now, this, this is like speaking from experience here. But yeah, um, coming back. Well, I also had three answers to that because apparently I just love to talk. Um, <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> when it comes to the art of fencing, I never went away. I was always a person who does HEMA. It yeah. was sure there were, there were long periods of time between classes, but inside my head, I was always there. It was always yeah. part of me. Um, what I did really come back to, though, was teaching. Now, I led classes at Yakomaki in 2003. I, I, have, a, I have a feeling you may have been the first person to ever actually get a formal class leader qualification from me. Yeah, for certain values of formal, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Because before, before that, there were... Some students did lead classes for me when I was ill or away or whatever, but it was always because they had extensive prior martial arts experience and they, they taught classes and stuff in other schools before. And so they were a safe pair of hands to leave the school to. But it took a while for me to get the teaching students how to teach and whatnot. That sort of mm. process started. Um, I, I, have, I have a suspicion you were the first person who ever actually got tested I wasn't tested I, I was I was kind of in the at the cusp of that okay like, I was there a little bit before that became the more formal process that it okay. became but I seem to recall watching you teach a class on your own yeah saying I mean you 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 had some elements of it you were you were watching me do it you were quizzing me on it uh, you gave me assignments like uh, create a class to go from A to B, and then I got 
lost and went into X and I came over and said, Guy, this isn't happening. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, yeah, you were, you were kind of working out the process at the time. Yeah, that may have been your test is, subject. Yeah, I think you probably were. And this is 2003. Okay, so you were coming back to teaching to, before I... Yeah, yeah, I mean, I... Having led the classes, um, it, I missed that. That was, that was like, I kept coming back to training occasionally, but I never led a class again before my own school. And yeah, because you were too out of practice. Exactly. Yeah. But that first time that I stepped out in front of a class in 2021, sword in hand, called out, on guard, <laughs> that was like coming home. It was like, <laughs> Yes. Me coming back to being myself. Yes. That was that's that how, was so that's awesome. how I felt. That is how, exactly how I felt when I was back in front of a class for the first time after COVID. It was like fucking hell, where have I been? Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, yes, you you say that I I was out of practice, I was. I still am, but getting back there. But it's a different thing. Like teach Leading a class for my students in my school, there's a reasonable expectation that you're current with how things have changed in the previous six months or what have you, right? Mm -hmm. And if you've been, I don't know, changing nappies and doing kid stuff in that time instead of swinging swords around, you'll be maybe six months out of date. And at that time, the interpretation was, and and the way we were training was changing all the time. It's a lot more stable now, but it was changing really fast. But now, as the person in charge... People are showing up to Auri's class and whatever Auri says is Auri's class. And and so there isn't that same requirement to be current with somebody else's interpretation. And the fact is that uh, I was always, like, I understand the principles. I always could. Yeah. I was, um, I may not have been able to make my muscles do it every time, but I knew how certain actions would have to be done, why you would do them, when you would do them. And I could tell this to people. I could not maybe tell them how to do first drill because first drill kept changing all the time. (laughs) To be fair, it hasn't changed at all in over a decade. So you say. It's true. You have different versions uh, in the Saw School uh, syllabus wiki than in your book written down. (laughs) <laughs> do I? Yes, believe me. <laughs> we have looked. <laughs> I need to check that because in my head they're the same. All right. <laughs> I mean, there's there isn't much difference, but there is when when you're kind of trying to figure out which is the canonical form that I'm going to teach these people, so that when Guy comes over, he's not going to go. You changed it. I would never say that. <laughs> I would never say that. I, I am, at least not in front of the other students. <laughs> um, okay, so you're running your own school, right? What's different and what are you doing differently? So you've got the chance to see me learning how to run my school because you, you got in very early. Yeah. And, you know, we've sort of stayed in touch over the last 20 years. So you've also seen how it's developed. What are you doing yeah. differently? 
Yeah. Um, mind you, as a student, I wasn't seeing you learn run your school. I was just seeing you running your school. Yeah. Which is a completely different thing. I was utterly unaware that you ever felt uncertain of yourself or <laughs> anything like that. Because yeah. Well, of course. Like, that is what you do. You project confidence. You fake it till you make it. Precisely. <laughs> I always suspected you were very good at faking it, but I could <laughs> never quite prove it. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Yeah, fair. But, okay, so, um, since the early 2000s, um, I mean, times have changed, right? Yeah, sure. We just, everybody does things Differently, I think that I'm gentler with my students, and so am I. Uh, a little bit less military. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, you, you, you came to my seminar in when was it last year, November, mm-hmm. I think last year, and it was not military at all, was it? No, no, no. It's a lot I more mean, relaxed. Yeah, but I mean, most of the things that I'm doing differently is because. I'm still a very new teacher mm-hmm. and because I can't do this full time. So there's less of that scholarship and research and I lean on work done by other people to figure out training exercises and principles. And I mean, the good news is that this, this exists now, this work yeah. exists now, which it didn't when you, you were starting, like yeah, sure. you had to, you had to figure it all out on your own. Um, but I also don't really get to do that. And I mean, do you want I spend. To do that? I don't know. Um, that sounded like regret to me. It's like, you, know, you owe it to your students to do the best possible job. And so there's all this stuff available. You need to use that because it will give your students a better experience in the short term. But I, I, it sounded a little bit like, yeah, but it would be kind of nice if it was complete terra incognita and I could just forge my own path. I mean, it would. It would. Uh, but, I mean, I know that there are things that I could do right now, but I am doing what I can without burning out. Yep. And currently that means spending about an hour a week. Um, no, wait, two hours a week planning classes and writing up the reports on them. Mm-hmm. Like, writing them up so that people can check what we did oh, right, uh, okay. that, that's what I do for my students um, I never did that for my students you're much nicer no. than me <laughs> <laughs> well hey that's one thing that I do differently yeah sure and uh, and also maybe once a month I'll get the opportunity to take two or three hours and just watch videos and look at materials and, and sources and, you know, read stuff. Mm-hmm. But that doesn't constitute research still. It's I, it's a little I, light. I, for, yeah. Yeah. So as long as I have a day job, that's all that I can squeeze out. Is there any prospect of giving up the day job? No, I'm not independently wealthy. So, well, neither was I when I started my school. But then, but then it was a very different field back then. Like there was, there was, there were no, there was nobody established in the field. And in Finland, there was no field. So it was, you know, I could get away with it. These days, 
I think to make a living at it, you either have to be in a in a fairly remote place where you are the only game in town, or you need to be really experienced. So it's a, it's a lot harder now than it used to be in that sense, I think. Yeah, it might be. There aren't many greenfield places left. No. At this point, like you in Finland, want, I think we've to... got like... <laughs> Ten schools or something. I don't think it's Rovaniemi, Ivalo. Rovaniemi, Ivalo. Well, I mean, the thing is, there are more schools than there are students. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> really? Not literally, but like there, there aren't enough students for all the schools. I think that who want to be schools. Okay. I'm. I'm just. I'm reading Facebook groups and Reddit groups and whatnot. Mm-hmm. And people post from areas that have a population density like the center of Helsinki. And they're like, okay, so I'm starting my own school. There's another school up the road and I'm just asking them for advice. And they they both do okay for membership. And I'm like, where are all these people coming from? And in Finland, there are not that many people. Um, I don't know. I think, see, I I still have the experience of meeting someone who is interested in swords and has absolutely no idea that they can train the swords because historical martial arts exist as a thing, right? And I have a suspicion that there is an untapped vein of such people that is deeper and broader than than we know, and we just have to find ways of reaching them. Yeah, I used to think that. I'm getting more cynical now after a year. Well, but I've been doing this a really long time, and I'm still like meeting people who are like, "Oh my god, I had no idea. Oh, that's so cool. Uh, do you mm-hmm. run classes?" Right? Like, but I mean, this... yeah. How many of those people ever turn up for class? Not many. True, um, but there's, I don't know. I just, I just think there's, there's a lot more. Um, what's the word? Okay, things are a lot more siloed these days, right? Because you know, it's not we're all watching the same three TV channels, and therefore everyone knows what happened in such and such a sitcom last night because everyone was watching the same sitcom. Now you've got Netflix and all these other streaming services, and Individual shows have tend to have a a very defined, dedicated audience that know everything about them. But people living in the same house as one of these fans has never watched a single episode, right? So because of that kind of siloing, um, I think people are getting less good at looking outside for things like and, and you know if you put fencing into a search engine now I don't know whether you'd get my school popping up even in Helsinki Um, because there's just so many oh you're about to do it aren't you I'm about to do it if I put in Hima Helsinki you get EHMS first yeah 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 well yeah fine but but hang on not Hima because Hima is a technical term that people who don't know about it don't know. To most people, to the majority of the human population who, who have a meaning for the word HEMA, 
It's either the beginning of something medical or it's a uh, Danish or Swedish department store. Okay, when I go Miekkailu Helsinki, which is yeah. the same phrase that I used way back when, go on then. Uh, EHMS is still result number five. Okay, good. Right before SHMS, which is sourced the... rule these days. Well, no, 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 no. SHMS is the Association of My Students in Helsinki. Well, Source so- School is the umbrella. Source School I is know, I know. And SHMS is, is the folk in Yakabaki who are still using the sound. I know. I know <laughs> yeah. this. You know For everybody that, else most, in Finland, listeners... it's still Guy Windsor's old school. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, fair enough. But for most listeners aren't infinite, so I'm just just making sure they get the um, they understand yes. what's going on. Um, yeah, so I I think I think that there is there is a market there. I really do. Um, oh, let me give you an example. Right in January this year, this chap I know who's good at such things put together some Facebook ads for me, running ads to the ebook of Many of a Long Sword. Right. 500 people in a month went and got the ebook. 500, mm-hmm. right? And most of those people, I am pretty sure looking at, I, you can't be certain because data and blah, 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 complicated technical shit I don't know anything about. But most of those people were not practicing historical martial arts before. So. Yeah. There are things to do, th- things to be done uh, yeah. through marketing and SEO mm-hmm. and stuff like that. Uh, but yeah. <laughs> Speaking of SEO, do you know why we have transcriptions on the podcast? The the reason I decided it was worth paying somebody to do it is because so it that puts, you can you can have content that that is searchable. Yeah. It puts yeah. about eight thousand words of relevant content up on the website every week. Yeah, I know. I mean, I'm in marketing now. This is literally what oh, I God. do. Oh, God. You're in marketing. Okay. So, so yeah, I'm a, I'm a technical copywriter. Really? I used to be a technical writer. That's what I thought. Okay, but you're yeah. a technical copywriter now. Okay. Yes, What's and you, you got my title correct, but uh, you just got wrong what it oh, is that I actually do these days. Oh, what? In, in, the, in the question that I sent you? Yeah. Where I say, you're a technical copywriter by profession. Yeah, I just copied that shit off LinkedIn. I didn't really think about it very much. Because <laughs> I remember, I remember you, you, you've been sort of, I mean, we very first time we met was in like 1994 when I was an exchange student at Helsinki. And yep. you were doing English and I was in the English department as well. And um, so you, and then as, do I remember rightly, you've got, Credit. I've got to check it. Otherwise, it'll be a bit awful. You definitely, you definitely get a credit in the Swordsman's Companion for for something. And I, was it the callouts or? But I seem to remember you also took a look at an early draft. And I did, I did, and then I gave you comments, and you ignored most of them. Did I? Yes. Really. Yes, well, the book, the book did really well, so obviously I was right to do so. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So, I, I'm, so. I'm, still, I'm still a bit salty about that because... Honestly, <laughs> Clearly. This is honestly, nearly 20 I years ago. It could have been a clearer book, but you know. <laughs> okay. Okay. All right. All right. So, seeing as I have 
obviously touched a nerve. Tell me, what what should I have done differently? Bullet lists would have been good. Less rambling sentences would be good. Okay. Proper index would be good. Okay, the indexes, the problem with indexes is they're expensive. You have to pay somebody who knows what they're doing to do it. They're not expensive if you have a technical writer friend who's willing to do them. Alry, I have a backlist this big that could all use indexing. Would you be interested? <laughs> How much are you willing to pay me? Why, yeah, you see? I said they're expensive. <laughs> I might not be quite as expensive as some indexes, but I do know what I'm doing with indexes. Fair enough. Yes. Um, all right. So, so rambling sentences, I need an index, but I'm not willing to pay for ones because I'm a cheap skate. And, you know, I, well, to be fair, I pay for editing. I pay for layout. I pay for cover design. Like, there's not much budget left for paying for things that aren't strictly necessary. For whom? Um, For anyone. I mean, if you have a physical book that you can't search, you can't press Control-F, it is very difficult to do without an index where you can find... But where this something is, why, is spoken of. This is why I've got my books. Well, if most people buy books on Amazon, right? On Amazon, mm-hmm. if you buy the paperback or hardback of any of my books, if there's an ebook available, I've toggled the widget so you should be able to get the ebook for free, which means you have a searchable version to go with the physical version. And that is excellent. Yes. Yes. But still, you think I should pay you to do indexes in my books? Yeah, there we go. Um, okay, so anything, anything else you'd like to like to like? I, don't know, I mean, I can provide you. <laughs> I would, I will provide you with a commentary if you really want to. But uh, no. honestly, <laughs> I think honestly, I've enough now. Yeah, honestly, honestly, you know that that book came out in two thousand four. I did a second edition in like two thousand nine or something or twenty. I can't remember twenty twelve maybe. And I'm I'm probably never going to touch it again. Because it's old. Yes. Yes. Let's just leave sleeping (laughs) things alone. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, indeed. All right. So you definitely know how to write. Right. So my question then is, is there a book coming? God, no. (laughs) No. I don't have anything of my own to say yet. See also (laughs) no time for research. Um. I don't have the time. And I also don't write a book just so that I can write a book. No, of course not. So. You write a book to get rich and famous, obviously. <laughs> <laughs> it doesn't oh, work of for course. most people. Yes, but, right. <laughs> no, I, mean, I write a book because there's, there's something I'm studying and I need to write a book to organize my thoughts on the subject. That's what I do it for, fundamentally. Yeah. So, yeah, I, I that that's not. I don't need to write a book for that. And I was toying with the idea of doing something like uh, TikToks or whatever. But <sighs> then you know, younger people have got there before me, and just learning yeah. that is. And why it, would why would you make a bunch of content for somebody else to make money off? 
I mean, isn't, isn't that what writing books is about? No, 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 no. Other, well, I don't. Other people don't tend to make money off my books. If anyone's making money off my books, it tends to be me, because these days I publish them myself. Um, but even, even so, like you know, if you're making videos or whatever, sticking them on YouTube or TikTok, other people, rich American or Chinese tech people, make money off your stuff and. You really don't, unless you are unbelievably famous. Well, I mean, yeah, but honestly, I don't write books to make money. That is not no. a reason oh, wow. for me okay. to write a book. Okay. I would create content to tell people about something that I've thought up, and I okay. haven't thought up anything yet. Have you not? <laughs> well, a few things, but not, <laughs> not books, books worth, certainly. <laughs> Okay. Well, it just, just occurs to me that, um, like, there may be a... I'm not quite sure why I'm trying to persuade you to write a book. I think it's because I've got it in the back of my head that you really ought to have a book in your house which has your name on the cover. I don't know. I just, just think that would be sensible for you. Um, but it doesn't necessarily have to be pedagogical. It could be, for example, memoir or fiction or... Well, I mean, the fiction thing, I've definitely tried. Okay. <laughs> Did you publish anything? No, no. I mean, no. I write fanfic. Okay. Which is, which is, the, which is terrible. Like, the last time that I decided that, yes, I'm now going to actually prioritize my writing, right? I'm going to learn this as a craft because it's something I keep doing anyway. Yeah. And I managed to publish a couple of short stories and kind of really get into it. And then I suddenly, I, I kind of looked aside and there was fanfic and I wrote a little bit of fanfic and then I wrote a little bit more fanfic. And okay. before I knew it, it was two, two, 270,000 words of fanfic. Fucking hell. And nothing that I could publish. So... <laughs> <laughs> no, but, but you could do an E.L. James. Because uh, her Fifty Shades stuff is all Twilight fan fiction. She just changed the names and cut yes. out some of the vampire stuff. I know. All of the vampire I stuff. know that. I know <laughs> and she that. made a lot of money. And she also made a lot of people happy. <laughs> also, most of the people she, I think she made happy probably didn't actually read most of the book. They probably just skipped to the interesting bits. But <laughs> because the books are terrible. Um, yes. Yes. But... Yes, you the know. world the world doesn't need more terrible books. No, but clearly fan fiction can be a starting point to a writing career. This is true. This is true, but still no. Uh, <laughs> That's a no. No, Ari's decided no books for her. No, definitely not. No, not no, right now books. anyway. No. All right, fair enough. Okay. Uh, and I guess you know if you've got a full time job and two kids and a school to run there's not a lot of time left for writing books no no i i need like i need like two weeks of complete downtime before any ideas will start to form in my head really and two weeks of full downtime is just not happening no fair enough it's funny i find that um i i need the downtime to get the ideas coming in but my downtime looks a lot like work. 
<laughs> well, like, like I'm likely to get my my best idea for the next project when I'm woodworking, for instance. So I'm in the middle of planing a bit of wood and go, oh, and dash into my office and write something on the whiteboard and then go, oh, okay, fine, I'll work on that later and then go back to the woodwork. Mm. Yeah. Right, and then come back and there's this thing on the whiteboard and it's like, oh, yeah, okay, maybe I should start this thing. Um, but it so. also needs, like, you have the downtime and then you have the time to actually work on that project. Yeah. It really, and it really helps if you don't have a day job. Trust. I, I think the best thing yes. I ever did is decide to not have a day job. <laughs> well, yeah, the thing good is, financial decision, but it was good in every other respect. Yeah, I, I've done the math, and there is no, no way that that is happening. Sure. Fair. I honestly don't know what the heck you were eating when, when you didn't have a job and you were just teaching and. I can only assume that you had enough students to both cover the rent or the payments on the sal and then also your own living <laughs> expenses. Um, there were times when there were enough students to cover everything. Um, no, it was it was tricky because basically, from, you know, my girlfriend at the time, she was a like a student doing her, finishing up her degree. So she had no money. And, but we would go around to her parents and have proper food a couple of times a month. That helped. <laughs> um, and I guess, you know, we just got used to living off not much money. Like really not much money at all. Mm. Um, and, yeah, yeah this is this is different yet. when you're 25 30 years old. Yes, and have no children. Very different. Yeah. When you're 20 when you I was 26 when I came over to Finland. No, 27 when I came to Finland to open the school and no dependents. So mm. it didn't matter that you know we had no money for holidays or wine or <laughs> the essentials in life. Right, um, but you know the school did eventually pick up and started to produce a a livable income, kind of. If if by livable you mean you know you can pay the rent on your flat and you can feed yourself, um, but like most of the things I wanted to do, like going to the states, for instance, and running a seminar or whatever, other people would pay me to do. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, getting like, okay, let's say when I wanted somebody to come over, basically I wanted to train with somebody, uh, Sean Hayes, for instance, right? Um, rather than me flying over to America and staying with Sean for a week and we do training and stuff and then I go home again, we would organize a seminar in Helsinki. Sean would fly to Helsinki. The seminar would pay for his expenses and, you know, some money as well on top, you know, wages as it were. And then we'd have all the extra time around the seminar for, you know, training and whatnot. So it was basically getting the students to pay for everything I wanted to do because it was all sword related anyway. <laughs> um, but yeah, it's, it's not, it's not terribly practical for, you know, someone who's actually a grown up with a mortgage and a, 
um, kids and you know, all that sort of thing. But, you know, retirement's coming, so... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, and, yeah, the kids are just about old enough to leave home, aren't they? I know Venla is. Yeah. How sound He's hoping. He's hoping. <laughs> <laughs> uh, um, so, yeah, Sandler's two years younger, but... Yeah. Sure. It's, it's, so I mean, you're getting, it's, you're getting close. Coming. You're getting close. You're getting close. Yeah. Yeah. I am seriously not looking forward to my little ones leaving the house, you know, leaving the nest, flying the nest, doing nothing. You know, Grace is um, going to be 16 in February, which is a horrifying thought. And Katrina's going to be 14 in December, which is even worse. It's like, you know, we are, we are less than five years away from both my children being adults. Horrible thought. But you know, I was about that, about at that stage when I realised that it might only be ten more years before I was a grandparent. Oh Jesus! Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, but mind you, I've been telling my kids um, since forever that you know they should they should have children as soon as possible because you know their parents want to be grandparents, and them having children <laughs> is the only way for that to happen. So they really need to get on with it. I've been telling them that since they were like four. I'm sure they're so grateful. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Maybe not. Um, okay. So, I know you're like super busy with various things, your school and job and kids and family. Whatever, but what is the best idea you haven't acted on? Well, last summer, we did training through the summer. And I mean, that was fine. And, um, I mean, it was hot and really quite annoying at times. But thing is, attendance was pretty low. And next year, we're thinking of just not doing that, maybe. And just okay. having a rest, to be honest, also. However, I would like to do something different. Gladiolus Roadshow. Rent okay. a car, borrow a bunch of swords and protective gear, and tour Finland, giving classes, attending other people's classes, just going around. The classes happen, they're just not in Helsinki. That would That's be a great so cool. idea. So you just like pile a bunch of gear into a car. Why rent a car? I thought you have a car. Well, I think that the family's going to need the car while I'm gone. Ah, okay, yeah, fair enough. I don't know, the public transport's pretty good in Espoo. They could... <laughs> no, it's not. <laughs> okay. The public no. transport is good in Helsinki. It's not okay. good in Espoo. By British standards, <laughs> public transport's pretty good in Espoo. <laughs> okay, I'll give you that. I shouldn't have said that while you were drinking. I'm sorry. Um, okay, so, so where would you go in your car? All the other schools in Finland, basically. Okay. And then... I mean, of course, it would be nice to go to, like, Central Europe, maybe even the UK, but probably can't afford that, so... It's a long way to drive. It is. Um, but, you know, Estonia is three hours away by ferry. Mm-hmm. So that's totally doable. So if, and from Estonia, you could wiggle down through, I don't know, Latvia and Czech Republic and... You could maybe go off into Germany and... Or catch a boat straight to Germany. That's an overnight. Yeah, true. And when I moved to Finland, we took a ferry from 
Newcastle to Gothenburg and then drove from Gothenburg to Stockholm and then took the ferry from Stockholm to Helsinki. So I wanted to bring my car because it had all, all my sword stuff in it. Um, so, I mean, you could just do that. And, and these days in Sweden, there's a whole bunch of schools you could go to on the way. So you could, if you wanted to, do a big loop around Finland and then take a ferry across to Sweden, go around Sweden and then take a ferry to the UK. True. Skip True. those bloody continentals altogether. <laughs> uh, although you know there's there's nice places to go in Europe yep so do you think you might do this maybe I hope so probably not but we'll see I mean I'm sure that you know there's going to be another pandemic or a war or I don't know, a meteor is going to strike because that's the way that the world seems to be these days. You're a natural-born optimist, aren't you? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I revel in it. <laughs> um, okay, so the the best idea you haven't acted on yet is fill the car with swords and just basically tour all the schools, giving classes, taking classes, fencing people. That actually sounds like a really good idea. Yep, I agree. Huh. Will you take anybody with you? Um, if somebody wants to come, sure. But um, I don't know. We'll see. Maybe Hake okay. could join me. Okay. Yeah. Does Hake do swords anymore? He's been to a few classes, yeah. So your husband shows up to your sword fighting classes? Yes. Okay, there's absolutely no way in hell my wife would ever come to one of my sword fighting classes. I mean, she might watch one, but she would never actually attend one. Because there's just absolutely no way in hell she's ever taking orders from me. (laughs) (laughs) But it doesn't feel personal at that point. No, well, I hope not. Okay, so if you do come to Britain with your with your car full of swords, you should definitely take in Ipswich. Absolutely, I wouldn't miss it. And then maybe we could have our, our lightsaber duel. Yes. <laughs> okay. Um, all right. Now, my last question: Somebody gives you a million euros or similar large sum of imaginary cash to spend improving historical martial arts worldwide. How would you spend it? Okay, this is local, it's not global, but I do think that it would benefit the whole community and promote the study of the uh, study and practice of the art. I would buy a whole big building. Yeah. I have one scoped out, it's my old school. Okay. And set it up as a HEMA research and practice facility. We'd have a couple of big training halls, a couple of small training halls, we'd have a library, a proper armory, somewhere where people can buy weapons and gear. There'd be spaces for swordsmith, physical therapists, researchers. We'd have a conditioning space with training gear and targets and pels and wooden horses, everything. Okay. And it would be a place where all, all things HEMA and marginally related could come together and we could pool our skills and resources and interlace our disciplines. Okay. That that sounds that sounds like a plan. Whereabouts is this building you've scoped out? It is in Vorsari. It's uh, Vorsari, Eastern okay. Helsinki. 
Well, I'm very glad it's in Eastern Helsinki because, you know, that's my end of town. Um, okay. And they're how also much... not selling that school. Oh, they're not. Oh, right. Okay. Sorry. <laughs> no. I thought it was on the market. All right. Okay. Now, a friend of mine, uh, you know, Mikko from Lappenranta. Yes. He has recently bought an old prison to turn what? Some, something like that. At least the last time I spoke to him was just a little while ago. He was, yeah. Yeah, you should old definitely talk to me. The problem is, it's in the middle of fucking nowhere. Right? Yeah. But if as a starting point for that idea you haven't acted on, it might actually work. Because I mean, think about it, you know, Pori Jazz Festival is world famous and people come from all over the world to go to the Pori Jazz Festival and Pori is in the middle of fucking nowhere. Pori is a city. In the middle of and nowhere. It is, and the festival is in the middle of the city. Yes, but it's in the middle of nowhere. This prison that Mikko has... It's in... I, that, I that's that's, that's that not in the middle of the city. No, it's... it's, it's, <laughs> it's, it's, it's I think it was no prison. Maybe it was no barracks or something. It's, It was was definitely sort of, um, to say, what's the word? It was it was not normal sort of residential stuff. It was definitely sort of industrially military. Yeah, it's probably like its own area of sorts. Like yeah, 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 yeah. and not in the not in the middle of, of a city. Not even a city is in the. Okay, if anyone is in Pori and listening to this episode and wants to take issue with what I just said about Pori, they are welcome to do so. <laughs> um, there's nothing wrong with Pori, but it is a long way from anywhere. It's like four or five hours from Helsinki, right? Yeah. bloody miles away, right? But people go from all over the place. So if the if the attraction is great enough, I mean, think of Burning Man. It's in the middle of the bloody desert. That's maybe a better example. And thousands and thousands of people go to Burning Man. So yes, so we could so, have our own like burning sword. Yes, you could even call it the burning sword and have a great big picture of the burning <laughs> sword. In fact, you could have a special sword that lights up, like you literally set light to it, like a Christmas pudding. I have to send you those pictures. We took awesome pictures with fire with friends, okay. in- involving a flaming sword. Okay, tell more. <laughs> you set fire to a sword. Uh, yeah, uh, th- there's this, you get soap bubble liquid and you yeah. pour that into water and then yeah. you take butane and you kind of squirt it into the water. So butane is like light fluid. Yes. Yeah. And then you get foam that is filled with butane. And then you take the foam in your hand and you light it up and it goes whoosh and it doesn't burn. Okay, okay. If anybody listening to this does that and sets fire to their house, it's not my fault. Because it wasn't me that said it. If you want to go after someone, go after Auri. That does sound like a bloody good idea, though. Except, you know, maybe do it outside after it's rained so there's not dry grass everywhere. And This, this is literally what we did, yes. Yes. Okay. And so how, how, so did you just, like, put it on the sword and then set light to it? Yeah, yeah, we set fire to it. Unfortunately, it's really hard to get that flame to kind of go on the whole length of the sword at once. So it yeah. tends to start at one end and then it kind of swooshes up. Um, That's no But bad there thing. were a couple of nice nice pictures. Okay. So you, you didn't like wrap the sword in, in rags and then... 
cover that in. No, th- th- this to like to soothe your fears. It wasn't actually a real sword that we used. It was more or less. Um, I mean, it was a, a giant ice pick that was accidentally shaped like a sword. You're you're gonna have to uh, ask Nikomikanen the full story on that. But it wasn't okay. a real sword. <laughs> okay. Because um, I would not. <laughs> well, honestly, I don't think it would do much damage because it's going to burn at a pretty low temperature. Yeah, I know, but I wouldn't take that chance anyway. Okay, not with a nice sword anyway. No. <laughs> um, okay, so your, your centre for historical martial arts research and practice and what have you, do you have a name for it? No. No, oddly enough, I haven't really been giving that much thought. Okay. Do you think you might end up actually getting involved with something like that? I would if I had the money. <laughs> yeah. Well, you've got two kidneys. Sell one. I have not got two kidneys. I have one. Oh, beg pardon. I didn't know. <laughs> in which case, in which case, scratch my previous, previous remark. <laughs> Okay, so you can sell a lung, maybe? No, no, that's not a good market for lungs. Okay, I'm just trying to think of some way you could... No, and you probably need them for the training. So I'm just trying to think of some way that you could reasonably raise a big pile of cash. I know! You should write the damn book and make millions off it. Oh, that's a brilliant idea. I'll get right on that. Excellent, good, okay. So you have a library, you have a smithy, you have an armory, you have a place where people can buy equipment, training halls and whatnot. Um, do you see it as having like regular classes there? Like it's basically like the home of various historical sword fighting schools. Or yeah, is it that, one school? I would think that um, one regular school and then that's, that's why I say a couple of big training halls so that, you know, other yeah. people can rent space to come and give classes, even if they haven't got their own school. Do you know, it's funny. I was I was literally at the point of talking to members of Ipswich Town Council about creating a training space for martial arts in Ipswich because lots of the martial arts schools get really bad terms from really not very good facilities. And they, you know, particularly places, you know, clubs that do like judo or jiu-jitsu or whatever they have to put the mats out before every class put the mats away again afterwards because maybe there's roller skating happening next or whatever right so i was thinking get a space um and there's there are plenty of spaces that would do and if you look at it in terms of how much it costs per month it would be relatively easy even renting a space it would be relatively easy to get enough people in like if I could get this judo club and that jiu-jitsu club and this sword club or whatever and they had the right sort of facilities there for them relatively easy them paying the same amount that they're paying already yep there was more than enough to cover the rent on these places yeah right and it was it was coming along nicely and I sort of was about to kind of get the... Obviously, I'd start a 
different company for that because it's its own separate set of risks and what have you. Um, and, you know, I got some people interested and chat to chat and this was sort of end of 2019 and things were just starting to get moving. And then... And then... <laughs> and then... Oh, no, 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 no. And, no. and honestly, honestly, the pandemic basically destroyed my appetite for taking risks on property like that. It's like... Yeah. Just... It's just too risky. Because, you, you know... If you have a landlord who's not like me, um, you basically, if the landlord isn't isn't into it for their own reasons, mm-hmm. then um, then when things like pandemics happen, they want to get paid anyway. You still have access to the space. Mm-hmm. It's not our fault. You haven't got any students coming and no clubs and making any money, so you you still owe us this much money. And if we'd done it. Let's say I'd been six months earlier getting it done and it was all, we found a space and created the company and rented the space and got clubs and whatever. That company would have gone bankrupt, no question. Yeah. Um, so, but I, I think it's a very good idea. And I think maybe um, look also outside the historical martial arts thing because yeah. they would do historical martial arts. I, I was having a, my, the, the previous interview I did, I'm not sure whether it's going to come out before or after this one, um, I got Adam Franti. One of the things he said was, you know, he was going to spend his fantasy million um, basically arranging wrestling training for historical martial arts teachers because, frankly, they could all use it, or many of them could use it, right? Yes. And he's not wrong. But having, if you have, if you train in a facility where, there are judo teachers and jiu-jitsu teachers and Greco-Roman wrestling teachers and whatever other mm-hmm. arts you can think of. Maybe an Eskrima club and maybe a Japanese sword club as well. If you have like a, if you sort of broaden the scope a little bit, mm-hmm. it's, I think it would be really good for historical martial artists in, in general to train with and next to other arts. Yeah, sure. And, and you could, you know, Maybe maybe it shouldn't be in Ipswich. Maybe it should be in Helsinki. Maybe it should. Or even Espo. Oh, God, no. No, no, no. <laughs> that's, that's too far west. <laughs> All righty. Well, thank you very much for joining me today, Harry. It's been lovely talking to you. Thank you so much for having me. It's been fun. Thanks for listening. I hope you enjoyed my conversation with Ari. You can find the episode show notes at swordschool.com forward slash podcast, where you'll find transcriptions, photos, videos, and links for this episode. While you're there, you can sign up for my mailing list and I'll send you a free copy of my Sword Persons Care Package. This includes four ebooks and access to several of my online courses. Join us next week when I'll be talking to Alexander Fergut and Michael Sprenger of the German historical martial arts podcast Schwertgeflüster and I do apologise for my pronunciation of all things German. It's an unusual conversation because we spend as much time talking about the business side of running a podcast and various other aspects of doing historical martial arts for a living and rather less time discussing the specifics of historical martial arts themselves but I'm sure you'll enjoy the conversation. Make sure you don't miss it by subscribing to the show wherever you get your podcast from. And while you're there, please do rate the show. And if you have an extra minute, leave a review. It really does help. And of course, as always, 
please do tell your friends to go listen to The Sword Guy. Thanks for listening, and I will see you next week. Thank you.